This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. We're homicide survivors, and we're also, it's important to recognize too, victims victims in the law proceedings like in other words there's legal legal issues of uh, for crime around victims right I, yeah. victim impact statements yeah. there there's a lot of uh, of it. it has its own course of action sure. and, and so forth but I, I think we have to talk about uh, you know the, the homicide survivors and what happens to them but all these families are suffering and 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 that's what I think has to be talked about because otherwise it just becomes glitz, you know? Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode, Tara. Yes, so we got a lot going on this week. Yes, we do. You did some updates for the Patreon, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I posted a lot on Patreon. And then we have an updated episode with Denise Winters coming out this week. And then, oh, a Discord. I started a Discord today. I'm really excited about it because you've been telling me all about Discord for a while. Yes. And then I finally got on board because I'm going to be attending Haley Gray. She's going to be doing a live tomorrow talking about FOIA request. And so I wanted to join that. And then in order to do so, I had to create an account. And I'm like, oh, I might as well do Survivor Squad right now and make it for the Patreon. Yeah, we've already had people, you know, that are on our Patreon are all a part of the Discord. So it's it's a little community that's happening. Oh, yes. No, Tammy said hello and I got excited and I'm like, yes, I get to communicate with our Survivor Patreon people. So Tara, we have a, a guest today who's been like 
the last 10 days have been like a whirlwind for her. Oh, yes. We have Ruth Markell. She is the mother of Dan Markell. And you know a lot about the case. I became aware of this case. A friend of the show, friends of the show, Joel Waldman and Carm from Surviving the Survivor. But originally, uh, it was their partner, Stephen Cohen, that told me about this and introduced me to Ruth. And so... Ruth's son is Dan Markell, and in July of 2014, Dan Markell was murdered in his garage of his home in Tallahassee, Florida. He was an FSU law professor. He had been recently divorced from his wife, Wendy Adelson, and they had two children. And it was a very bitter custody battle that was going on. But for years, you know, this is 2014, and we're in the end of 2023 now, they ended up finding out that there were two hitmen that were hired. Uh, one of them was a member of the Latin Kings gang organization in Miami, Florida and Fort Lauderdale area. And he brought his friend and they murdered Dan in his driveway. They were hired by a, a woman named Catherine McManawa, who was the ex-girlfriend. And she was a mother of one of these gentlemen's children. She had dated Charlie Adelson. Now, Charlie Adelson is the son of a prominent dental family in the Fort Lauderdale area. He's a periodontist. And what happened was, is he was just convicted last Monday in the murder of Dan Markell. So basically, he went to his ex-girlfriend and hired her to hire her two friends. And, and like I said, father of her children, who is a gang member, to take the life of Dan Markell. So first, the two guys went to prison. Uh, one of them rolled on the other one and got less time. He got 19 years. The other one got a life sentence. Then Catherine McManawa got a life sentence. In 2022, her trial ended. And Charlie Adelson was arrested in 2022, in April of 2022. So he was just convicted. He was convicted on all counts. So the dominoes started falling with the two gang members and then the ex-girlfriend, then Charlie Adelson. And then on Monday night, his mother... Donna Adelson was arrested at Miami International Airport with a one-way ticket to Vietnam via Dubai because she was fleeing the country. Federal agents were on to her because she had told Charlie on the phone that she was either going to take her own life or she was fleeing the country to an, a non-extradition treaty country like Vietnam. The case is so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing all of it. The case is so crazy. There are so many layers to it and it's just so insidious. So now she's being charged for the same crimes that Charlie was just convicted of. So when we had recorded this interview, Ruth, it was, I believe the end of 2022, but they were right in the middle of all this, but you know, they had had these, these other convictions had already taken place for the two hitmen and the girlfriend. And now Charlie Adelson has been convicted. He will be sentenced on December 12th. And now his mother has been arrested and she's charged. Like they're all going to prison. The ex-wife, Wendy Adelson, she has the two children, Benjamin and Lincoln. And it, Ruth shares her story of trying to be involved in these boys' life. I mean, she herself is in her 80s now and been dealing with this. And um, it's just a really sad story. You know, as someone who's been through murder and just the court system in general, this did not have to go this way. This was just really, really tragic and 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 horrible. And and this family, the Adelsons, for doing this for no reason. It's really sad. But but Ruth tells a very compelling story, and I'm 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 so grateful that she gave us some, some time on the program. Me too. Well, let's get into it. Let's do it.
So where are you coming out from? Like you're on the Pacific time. Where are you? I live in Santa Monica. Oh, okay. And Tara lives in Irvine, California. Oh, very nice. Okay. Where are you from again? Toronto. We're Canadians. Danny's a Canadian. Nobody knows that. They always go, what? <laughs> okay. How the hell did y'all end up in Florida? Well, we're going to tell you the story. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again for for agreeing to do this. This is Steven's been a big proponent of Dan's for a long time. He's He's been very absorbed by that case. Thank you. I do want to say that I understand and share your, your terrible story. And now Tara's also story. I think that one of the interesting things that I find as a survivor is when you can connect with someone else who's been through a very similar trauma, even though ours are very different, the similarity would be is that you, I was a son seeking justice for his mother right, and reconnecting my family. And you're a mother seeking justice for her son, trying to keep the family together. A hundred percent. And and you know what else? I think it's also important. First of all, I really appreciate, I'm sure both of you have really committed to this, uh, this journey, let's call it, uh, and so on. But I also have to say that it's also living and working with the justice system, right? Which is another, that's part of my, my book as well, you know, which I'll talk about. Like there, there's not really too much, you know, I say closure is a word in the dictionary because of the criminal system, right? Yeah. And you, you're on, I mean, we're on, you know, multiple times, but I just want to say, I, I really understand now I'm hearing the second story. But your your terrible issues around violent death, right? And I think I think that's a big part of this too. It's not a a sort of a natural a natural death uh, experience, and that also changes everything. Yeah. Well, I think when a life is so violently taken, it really makes you take a look at the world and be like, "Is this the reality that I knew in this world?" You know. Yeah. The shock is fat. It's it's tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. You hit it right on the head. Like, so one of the impetuses for me starting this podcast, and I, I made a film called A Murder in Mansfield. I saw something. I'm interested in that too. You'll tell I me will, later. I want to ask you first, who is Dan Markell? First of all, let me thank you formally because I think that we had a nice, uh, a nice chat. I really understand, you know, your your total dilemma, and I'm most impressed, really, with what you've done with that trauma. And I just want to say that, and and I hope to share, and I, I don't know Tara's whole story, but I'm sure there's some similarities as well. And that, and that's, I think one of the big, the big things here really is to make sure the public under how much trauma there really is and uh, you know, and, and what we can do to educate the public about the impacts of murder and what it destroys families and the violent issues. Uh, so about Dan, so Dan, Dan, we are Canadian, I should say that. Uh, Dan is born in Montreal and uh, came to Toronto at five years old. Uh, he later, he later uh, left Canada, I often say this, at 17, 18 years old. He only wanted to go to Harvard, Yale or Princeton. So this is a funny story coming from a Canadian, <laughs> a Canadian perspective because of the fact that we wanted him to go but he didn't have a backup plan even to have a canadian university and his dad phil said 
Donna, just do me one favor, apply one place in Canada. Anyway, he did, but he did get into Harvard. And I would say that Harvard was uh, really uh, the love of his life. But I think that uh, not in a in a uh, sensual kind of a way. He just he just was so engrossed in the community, in Harvard and so forth. So he did his undergrad work at at Harvard. He later went in between um, undergrad to law school. He did a he did another master's in Cambridge, England. Came back to Harvard Law School, and then he clerked in the states. So he did you know the very high powered traditional, let's call it, it's not traditional, but the very high power opportunities for an academic career. And he, uh, and then he started out, uh, he clerked first, and then he started out working in Washington uh, in a boutique firm. And, uh, and he liked it there. And uh, this was a, a firm that did specialized work for appellate work to the Supreme Court. So Dan was very, very, um, you know, inclined to want to have a successful uh, career, not always a lawyer. He was started off when he was younger. He wanted to be a rabbi, then a stock market person. <laughs> he had all these, you know, where other kids are policemen, firefighters and so forth. He had other interests. I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> Probably before his time. <laughs> he would have been maybe. Although I can't really say that. I have to say my Canadian grandchildren are much more into science. I don't, I don't think Dan really was in the science area, more politics and, and government. And he, he lived all over the world and he made friends all over the world. And he was often known as the connector, you know, and, and then in his academic writings, he um, had some strong opinions such as against, very much against the death penalty. And this comes up later in, even in when he, when in the case. Um, the other thing about him was that he started something called Prof's Blog. So Dan was on social media way before it really caught on. And so, um, you know, Facebook started first at Harvard, but Dan at tw in 2004, Dan started Prof's Blog in 2005. So this is how early he was for all of the young, you know, legal students and the younger lawyers at the time. And Facebook then became very public in 2006 when, you know, everybody had emails and so forth. So his and he like he himself on his personal level, I would say as a mother, but sometimes over participated on Facebook in that <laughs> early, <laughs> early. I take the opportunity, you know, to to say that. But he was into social media way way early, and I think that's part of his international acclaim as well. Hey, movers. Did you know that one in five Americans has learned a new language on their bucket list? If you're one of them, make 2024 the year you finally check it off with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Designed by over 150 language experts, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are your passport to speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Real people, real conversations. That's the Babbel way. Babbel's tips and tools are not just lessons. Their companions in real-life situations. The approachable, accessible content is delivered through conversation-based teaching, ensuring you're ready to shine in the real world. Before Babbel, I couldn't imagine effortlessly ordering food, asking for directions, or chatting with local merchants, and all without consistently checking a language app while I'm on vacation. But Babbel makes it easy, providing the practical skills you need for real-life scenarios. Struggling with pronunciation? Babbel's got your back with speech recognition technology, 
helping you perfect your accent and sound like a native speaker in no time. Hola. Hola. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash collier. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash collier, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash collier. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay. What made him so prone to want to get to this career of being a lawyer in all these great careers? I think he, you know, he actually, he, he in an undergraduate uh, period, he was into po- politics, government, and, and finance. And I'll tell you where he really bloomed, and he was interested actually in international law. But what happened, and this is a very interesting story, how he went into criminal law. In the period of his first year, there was a professor at the University of Toronto, Robert House, who was writing about Mandela. And and he wrote, his whole thesis, the professor was, Mandela should be pardoned. And he asked Danny, this is, Danny did a twist here in his own career, his interest. He said, Danny, you're, you're, I'm hiring you for the summer as a research assistant. I want you to write all the arguments why Mandela should not be pardoned. And he wanted that. So he, the, the professor, was, pre- was prepared. When Danny finished his work for the summer, he, he said to him, Dan, you have to publish this. And because this is the quality that he was, his writing was always outstanding. Not legal writing initially, but general writing. And, and he did. And that turned Danny's whole career around. He was not going to be a criminal lawyer. Okay. And that stands to your question. It, it was an experience, something like that, that really kind of gave him that conviction. I love this. That, I mean, that's an interesting legal opinion, right? To... <laughs> right there, a big one, too. Against Mandela. That's, um... <laughs> that's, that's the start. And it was published, actually. Go ahead. So it's interesting. So Dan was a bit of a wonk. I guess you'd say. Dan was everything. He loved to dance. He loved to play. He was not an academic, like nerdy type at all. In fact, when you would go on a dance floor, uh, you'd be shocked. And, and in fact, one of the law students wrote when he went to Harvard, he's a character too. He, when he went to law school, we had to get him, you know, the jackets. We went to a vintage store to get a jacket, you know, with the uh, sleeves that had the leather pads on them. And he obviously wore it to class at Harvard. Before that, he was preppy. You have to see these, these different fashion images. And then when, when he passed away and other women, even earlier, he liked women too, and they liked him. But one of them said, they couldn't believe this guy with the patches is on the dance floor. And he, and he was very, very, uh, very, very skilled on the dance floor and, uh, and other things. So I love that. So how did he come to, now he worked at the University of Florida or Florida State? Yeah, but this is later. He started in Washington. He started in Washington. And how did he, why, why don't you sort of paint the background of how he met Wendy? So he met, he was in Washington. He was doing um, very, very significant work in this uh, firm. 
And, and Wendy was in law school. She's seven years younger than him. And she basically uh, was going to do an internship in Washington. And she was looking on, um, you know, where places to live, places to be. And then this is an interesting part. Her and her mother, Donna, went on J-Date, which is the mm -hmm. Jewish dating service. And they sought out Danny that, that, that they he should meet her in Washington. So, he, so this is the beginning of the, of the story. And um, that's how he met her. J-Date. J-Date. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> is it still around? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. It's very active. In, in most, okay. Most young, yeah, I wouldn't say Jewish only, uh, but people who, uh, who know they're moving to different cities or within this city, it's, it's very popular in all the different cities. So it crosses the territories. I mean, that's what's interesting. We have J-Date in Toronto. It's in New York. It's, you know, so it, it's, it's very, uh, let's call it international in the sense of you can say like what, what they did. We're coming to the city. Uh, can we set up a time to meet and so forth? Okay. Tara is a big fan of matzo ball soup and rugula. So she's <laughs> actively looking for a a partner in the Jewish community. So okay, well, we'll even get J Date as a sponsor for the program. And that's uh, right. That's there we'll you go. Your way. They're they're known to, to be very nice husbands. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jewish it. Man. I love a yeah. Jewish man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anytime. Look, go. Oh, I where do you say you're living there? Where are you living? I'm in Irvine, California. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of certainly in California. Please continue. Their their sort of story and how they ended up in Florida and all of that. Okay, I'll tell you the story. So Danny met Wendy in uh, in Washington. So she was a student, and Danny at the time he he was always interested in being an academic. He was not when he started out uh, from Harvard. And they when they first met, it was was not the first date or two, you know, madly in love. But it did grow very quickly, and it grew quite seriously in a short period of time and Danny kind of was ready to you know to to move into academia now Wendy had two more years to finish and so he said I'll go to I'll look around in Florida at the law schools yeah. and that's what he did and he applied to FSU and he got the job and she finished uh, law school in Florida and uh, they got married and in in Tallahassee at that point and they lived there together. They had two boys. Um, they got married in 2006. Their first son was born in 2010, Benjamin. And the second son was born, they're quite close, in 2009. And, uh, and, they, and they lived in, in Tallahassee in that period. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, as is well known, if you follow the case, they had differences once the children were, were born, serious differences around religious observance. And Danny wanted them to become kosher and to have some more participation in the synagogue. And Wendy initially was not so much against that. In fact, when the boys went to daycare, uh, what that meant is, so instead of having any you know, pork or certain uh, seafood dishes, uh, they brought tofu hot dogs and tofu, um, uh, you know, falafel type of things to so the kids could participate similar eating to the other children at daycare. However, what happened was um, with time, Donna, Wendy's mother, uh, decided that uh, it, 
was leaning too much towards, you know, some observance. And she told the daycare even, you know, give them regular food. She took them to McDonald's. So there was already a beginning of, you know, kind of through religious observation and values and participation, you know, I, I would say openly of highly conflictual issues and sabotage, right? So that's hard to accommodate. And it, and it just, it actually just got worse. The other issue was um, when, uh, Dan, when Wendy finished school, um, she was in Tallahassee and Danny was already getting um, tenure at FSU. And um, they wanted to get out of Tallahassee as fast as they could, meaning the family of Wendy. Wendy's parents uh, wanted them to come to South Florida. And that just put another whole, you know, let's call it a line in the problems and exacerbated major, major difficulties. So it ended up really very, very challenging uh, from the period, you know, to 2011 to 2012. And then there was a very, um, you know, highly uh, contentious divorce. But before that, the separation was devastating. Uh, Danny was out of town and uh, Wendy called him back, uh, told him that she's leaving him and she had already moved out you know, half the stuff, you know, from the house and the kids weren't home when he came back. He, we were there the next day because it happened to be a Jewish holiday, but we were on the phone with him the whole time. And all of the stuff, what really hurt him the most was all of the upstairs where the children's clothing and toys were. So he was devastated. And that was in, in 2012. And then it led to a divorce in 2013. So they were divorced when all of this happened. Correct. Just to back up a second. They tried to petition before the while the divorce proceedings were going on, but that through the court, that they the court would allow Wendy to move the two boys because they had joint custody, right? Equal custody. Okay. And to move the boys to Tallahassee. And that was refused by the court. So so I think at that point also uh, it was in the period of the divorce going to happen. But that was just another reality that even with the custody issues and arrangements, you know, nobody was getting getting out of Tallahassee. Why did she want to take them out, out of Tallahassee? Well, her, her family was in, in South Florida, right? And, you know, that was the major issue. Okay. And I think that, you know, they, they coming from Miami, maybe they felt uh, Tallahassee was restrictive to them, you know, in, in that respect. And wanted maybe a bit bigger a bigger urban city life. Okay. So at this period, there is this, she is filed for divorce. He's devastated, but she yanks the kids out of his life. Correct. Right. I made a correction, but I just want to clarify. He he's dev He was devastated from the period of the separation and he did not want to have a divorce. He was hoping to have some kind of resolution and, you know, and family therapy and so on and so forth. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well. 
Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. Yeah, so he, he wanted to make the marriage work. Correct. And she was like, no way. No, it was a fait accompli, you know, like they say. And, her, and there was no, and it was a period even until she, I think really before she actually had that major kind of, you know, uh, you know, crazy separation and so forth. So she was already, her mind was made up and so was Donna's mind made up and probably the rest of the family's mind was made up. You know, they were leaving Tallahassee. Correct me if I'm wrong as a, as a goy, but did, isn't Adelson a Jewish name? Yes, she's Jewish. So, so there's different, so like every other religion, you have different, um, pay, you know, places of observance. Sure. And the, they're what you would be called reform. reform. Reform people don't observe the Sabbath. You see, the real critical factors are keep that for normal uh, Jewish people, the ones who are very religious on any side of it, they observe everything. But there's a range of participation. Like you go similar, you know, you go to church on Sunday if you want to go. You go to synagogue on Saturday or Friday nights in the States as well. Uh, we do have you know, definitely dietary um, restrictions as part of the core religious practice, right? Sure. And that's, and I think that's where, when on the reform side, uh, you would be much more lenient to have like things like bacon and pork and, and not everybody who's reformed eats those things, but it's certainly not valued in the same way as not to eat it. it. It's often used. You know, my mother, one of my, her birthday will be next Wednesday, so a week from today. And um, one of one of my favorite times with her was in the kitchen during the holidays, like Christmas holidays, because we were Catholic. But she would make prune paste hamantaschen. <laughs> That's amazing. Everyone always gets a kick out of. I remember just like making the triangles with her in the. That's amazing. It seems like the 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 real dividing factor was religion, just right out of the gate. Religion was the was a critical factor. And the obstruction of the opportunity to, you know, to create practices to, to bring the boys up, and the geographic, the geographic mobility issue, uh, you know, was a problem as well. I mean, Danny, Danny would go anywhere, uh, you know, to to any university, and he would, you know, consider even hot and cold weather. Wendy originally was a little more open to a place like Washington, but as time kept on, you know, she really just wanted to go to South Florida to live. So she seemed to have like a plan and then he was like, oh, I'm able to do whatever you want, basically. 
No, I think no. I don't think I don't think that she had a plan. I think that um, you know, like she, she started to uh, you know, and I want to move on from this part of it because I don't want to be on Wendy, you know, the whole time. Yeah. But she had a strong dislike, really, for for Tallahassee after a certain point. Did the family just move to take the children out of Dan's life at that point? No, the family, yes and no. They well, they didn't move. They weren't allowed to move. That's yeah. was the issue. Yeah, but they would have wanted to move. I don't know that it was only to take the children out of Dan's life. I think that was where the let's call it where the crime begins. But but I think that the um, the actual point would have been uh, they could have they could have satisfactorily lived, you know, with with Dan maybe in Miami or if Dan would would he was even open to uh, to you know fly back and forth and so forth. Uh, so, but I think I think things got you know very exaggerated and conflictual post the divorce as well, and that even intensified you know more of the issues. So, how did it get brought to something? I, I don't know what you can talk about as far as the case, right? So, when when did the murder occur? The murder occurred in 2014. Here's here's one of the here's the facts. The actual divorce occurred in 2013. The murder occurred, uh, he then was shot, I'll go with some details, on July um, uh, 18th, 2014. And he died, uh, you know, uh, in the middle of the night, like in 2 a.m. July 19th. So the actual death is, is July 19th. It was considered the beginning, uh, you know, people in Tallahassee thought maybe it's a random around the murder. And then after that, um, it became very clear that it was not around the murder. And as time progressed, um, it uh, there were nothing happened the first two years. Okay, so we waited a long time. Yeah, the only finding that there was, which was very significant, Dan's neighbor, James Geiger, who became a key witness in, um, you know, some of the criminal issues later on, he, he saw he thought he saw a, a white or green Prius moving out of the driveway. So Danny was shot in his driveway. And there, and as the car was backing out, the neighbor saw a car, but he wasn't yet 100% sure. But it was that was the most significant piece of evidence. Because that was a rental car, right? Uh, yes, it was the rental car. And that, and that was the most significant piece of evidence because that gave the police, the Tallahassee Police Department, something to start on. And, and that was really, uh, you know, a year after the first year, there was really very little news the first, the first year. But at the first year, there was a major police conference, and that was the, the critical piece of finding that they discussed. And I was in touch all the time with the Tallahassee Police Department. We kind of split some of the roles in the family of who, who did what, and I was in charge of liaisoning uh, with law enforcement. But it was really quite quiet the first the first uh, two years and then what happened um all of a sudden uh on may 25th um 2016 so now we're like into a few years later um i get a call so i mentioned i was liaisoning with the police um at uh, 12 a.m and they say we just arrested garcia Sigfredo garcia and none of us knew yet the names or you know anybody yet and it, it turned out that um, there were two hitmen. So what started to be established pretty early, and this is the next part of this big story, 
it's considered a murder for hire. Okay, so, and that is why there is so many people involved. Let me give you a quick cap of where we are. So the murder occurs July 19, 2014. The arrests begin in 2016. Garcia, Zigfredo Garcia is arrested first. Then his buddy who was with him in the car, his name is Luis Rivera. So it's known that later on that Zigfredo Garcia was the shooter and uh, Luis Rivera was the driver of the car. Now, Zigfredo Garcia later on was convicted for life and he did not get the death penalty. He, he was charged with the death penalty from day one. And what happened with Luis Rivera was he plea bargained, okay? And Luis Rivera plea bargained and brought in Catherine McBanawa, okay? So she became arrested, was arrested in October, 2016. And that brought together the three people known as for the murder for hire. Okay, so this is the beginning part of the story. 29, in 2019, both Catherine and uh, Garcia were uh, charged and had a trial together. The two of them had a trial together. Garcia got life, but Catherine's was a mistrial. Okay, so this gives us some data of why we just had a trial recently for Catherine McBanawa. At the same time when all of this was happening, uh, you know, there was an affidavit and people started speculating that these are not the real people who should be on trial. There's other participants who should be uh, noted and, and responsible for uh, the trial, for the murder as well. Yeah. Now, now, allegedly, at that time, the Adelson family uh, some of the members were were uh, sort of described or noted. So, I, I mean, does it, it just seems, I mean, did it not strike law enforcement as odd immediately? Like why the, these people living in South Florida would have something to do with the murder of a white Jewish man in Tallahassee, Florida? It did strike them right away. The actual, uh, there's a lot of politics in this case. So the, the, the lot of politics. So the Tallahassee Police Department and the FBI and others really wanted right away to have, um, you know, some members of the Adelson family charged at the same time from day one. Oh, really? But that, yes. Oh. And that okay. did not happen. That's because of the state attorney at the time uh, who, who decided that he would only uh, feel uh, that he was ready with the kind of evidence for these three people. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's a very interesting case. It's a very political case. Big politics. So they went to trial. They were convicted. Then she was just recently retried like a couple of months ago, correct? Yeah. She was just retried. Her trial started May, May 16th of 2022. So 2022 is a big breakthrough year. Yes. Okay. In case. Uh, so uh, in, in 2022... First of all, her trial was supposed to be February of 16, 2022, but it was postponed because the prosecutors were trying desperately. They had a lot of wiretapping. If you know, I hope everybody reads my book, which I will talk about. Oh, yeah, about we're going to plug that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Plug my book, right? But why I'm telling you this, all the details of the trial life are in there. But 
so the point is, in 2022, in February, uh, the prosecutors decided that they enhanced some of the, it's called the Dolce Vita tapes, that, which was in the restaurant. And that was where Charlie Adelson and Catherine McBanawa had major conversations about issues related to the murder. So this enhancement became part of the trial for Catherine McVanawa. Now we're in 2022, but in April, just prior to the trial, they had a grand jury um, event and Charlie Adelson, so this is the brother yeah. of Wendy, is arrested and he is charged. Okay. He just had an Arthur hearing last week and um, was denied bail. What was he charged with back in, I think it was, what, April 21st or something, or 20th? Or? Yes, exactly. April 21st, he's charged with murder, murder, uh, solicitation, and conspiracy. Uh, so it's it's first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, these are the proper terms, and solicitation of murder. And she was convicted on May 27th of those three, char- of those three charges as well. So that's where committing murder and uh, solicitation and first degree murder. Now, how is she connected to Charlie? How How is this woman, this Filipino woman, who obviously has ties, I believe one of them was a father of her child. Is that correct? Garcia is the father of her two children. They're in like what, you know, what, what you would call a common law uh, relationship, but it was on and off. And then in one of their off periods, she dated Charlie Adelson. This is how this... This is how this... this is, is, but here's, You're too young to remember Peyton Place. Do you know the TV show? No, I don't know. So the little town with all the intertwinings sure. of everybody. This is what it is. But 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 also this is what it is. It it and this is something that you have taken up as a point of your activism, which I commend you for. But the here we have these two individuals, Garcia and I'm, Rivera, Louis Rivera. Okay, so Rivera and Garcia committing the murder. Garcia has a two children with this other woman who is now. So everybody's going to prison and there are two children, two innocent children that have nothing to do with this, whose lives have been completely obliterated. All sense of normalcy for these children. And not only that, but your own grandchildren as well. And this is something that it was as someone who, again, was abandoned by his family and thrown into the foster care system and just like, go fend for yourself, buddy. Good luck. You know, um, it's heartbreaking to see a, a flip side of that where there is a family actively trying to support <laughs> and be involved and not being able to do that. And I guess that's what I really want to want to get to in our conversation is, you know, I believe in previous interviews you said, the day before Charlie was indicted, right, was you saw uh, Ben and Lincoln. Let me back up a little bit. Sure. Okay. And I, th- I'll tell you, you know, a part of the frame here. So first of all, I'm going to actually talk about the book and the title of the book, okay? Because okay. I think it's very, re- very relevant. So the book is called The Unveiling, and it's a mother's reflection on murder, grief, and the trial life. Okay, and there's two reasons that I wrote the book and two descriptions of the title. The first title 
is related. And I think we have to talk about grief too today because I think, you know, you've all suffered tremendously. And I really want to talk to the public about grief, you know, with all of the school shootings going on with so much loss, it's time to really talk about that. So one of the purposes for me of calling it the unveiling, the first is there's a Jewish ritual which comes about, ours was about six months after the funeral. And the ritual is to put the tombstone down and to put a curtain over the inscription because we write a fair amount on the tombstone. And then there's an actual ceremony and service to lift this uh, curtain, so to speak, this piece of fabric, which covers the tombstone, and that's called the unveiling. For me, that was the beginning of the grief story, the deep, deep grief. Up until that time, I was in shock, and I think you all share this. I was in a daze. I had an out-of-body experience, and I had all those, you know, terrible feelings of initial blows and so forth. But when we did the service and coming up to the service, the fact that there was a tombstone, which was on top of the gravesite, for me, that was the finality of the death, right? Like if you see visually, there's, there's something that just, you know, the expression, and it's so true for us, for me personally, you know, the nail in the coffin. And that was really my beginning of the grief story. So that was one of the reasons I wrote the book, to really talk about grief. This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Ruth Markell. Can't wait for part two? Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.